on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Hi, Will. How are you doing? Not too bad. It is Champions Cup week after all, so a big game to look forward to this Saturday. We're delighted to be joined by Rory O'Connor as well. Rory, how are you? Good, thanks, Ash. How are you? Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. I'm glad. A very short notice. You actually forgot you were meant to make, be making an appearance tonight. So <laughs> thankfully, your life is so boring that you have nothing planned that you can just jump straight <laughs> no, on. Nowhere I'd rather be. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Rory, you know, I it is a Champions Cup final week, but I think it's fair to say from an Irish perspective, things have gone a little bit flat, even though we're just off a couple of rounds of Interpros and some of the games, to be fair, especially Connacht Munster there last Friday night, I know you were at it as well, was really competitive, really exciting. But I suppose just the way the season has kind of ran aground a little bit in terms of the European uh on the European front, no teams in either final, the Rainbow Cup not really catching the imagination. Is that fair? Am I being unfair? Fair, maybe about where Irish rugby's at. No, I think that's fair. I think the, you know, it's it's a self-inflicted wound because Ulster and Leinster both had a chance to be in the final this Saturday, this Friday, and fluff their lines in, in the semi-final. So, you know, like it's it's not as if it's it's partly partly down to that because if Leinster were in a final or Ulster were in a final this week, there'd be lots to talk about. I mean, there's always always lots to talk about rugby, but you know, we'd be really gearing up to something. Spe- this would be the grand finale of the season, but unfortunately. What normally runs parallel with the, the the end of the Champions Cup is an exciting finish to the Pro 14 season, and unfortunately, the um, decision to curtail the season and finish it a week after the Six Nations finished, um, and then start this Rainbow Cup, has kind of deprived the uh, that side of things of oxygen because I think. Partly because the gas has started up as well at the same time. Like there is a limited amount of bandwidth for sports coverage in, in, in Ireland. And um like the Premier League, I mean it's kind of petering out a little bit, but you know, there's stuff you know that that's that's st- still going on. You've got the Champions League final coming up with two English teams, that's gonna grab a lot of Irish people's attention. You know, it's was a US PGA week this week as well. And unfortunately, like another set of Interpros, when we kind of came back in August with Interpros, we've been on the road a long time as well. Ruby started really early this year in August, but it's the end of last season. And I think it's just, yeah, it's gone a bit stale because no one really uh, has bought into this, apart from the players who've really bought into this this tournament, the games have been good. But I think public buy into this tournament has been pretty uh, pretty marginal, really. Like, I, I can... You, you can usually tell, I'm sure you, when you work on the website, you can see what sort of engagement we're getting with stuff we're writing about it. I certainly, when I'm tweeting about stuff about the, the Rainbow Cup and things, it's just not getting any any traction whatsoever. People, I don't get the sense that people are really watching the games outside of those that really care about the provinces, like the real hardcore who'd be there anyway. And yeah, there's just no sense of an event with it, which is really unfortunate. I think that's partly because the format doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's changed halfway through the whole thing again. The South Africans maybe would have brought a real excitement with it. Obviously, COVID meant that wouldn't couldn't happen. But like, you know, I think we all saw that coming. Um, this final, if it gets pulled off, um, that could be good. And unfortunately, at the moment, it looks like you know Treviso could be in it, and uh, we might not have an Irish environment involvement. Which, considering how strong the Irish teams were in the Pro 14, would be a shame. So, yeah, like with and the other thing is that the lines is looming really large at the end of it. And it's kind of almost everyone's looking towards that as what that's the next thing when what's in front of us just isn't grabbing everyone's attention. So that's, having said that, some good games the weekend. I enjoyed being at home on a Friday night. I enjoyed the Leinster game when I got back and watched it. So, um, 
you know, we can't complain too much about it. But they, yeah, I would uh, the Pro 14. I, I criticize it as a competition, but this time of year, it's usually really good. This is when it comes into its own. So it's a pity that we don't have that running. Yeah, Luke, what are your thoughts on some of the issues kind of Rudd brought up there in terms of, yeah, the line's looming massively large, but I suppose it's not for another five or six weeks, that first game against Japan, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of time between then and now, and if people didn't get grabbed by the Interpros, there's a couple of weeks where there's bye weeks and there's teams playing, like I think Munster playing the Cardiff Blues and Leinster playing maybe the Dragons and stuff, so if they weren't energised by a couple of games recently, I don't think it's going to be the next few weeks to get some kind of glued to, to rugby once again. Yeah, look, I agree with everything Rod said. Um, you know, it's a this season was always going to be a little bit challenging in, in in that respect, and they were always, I think, just worried about getting, you know, games played. Um, and I mean, look, they've been a little bit unlucky. Um, you know, I suppose they were trying a bit of a, would you call it a bit of a soft intro uh, through the Rainbow Cup? Uh, I think that's probably fair to say. Uh, and obviously. You know, couldn't really predict that there was going to be different variants and they weren't going to be that wasn't going to be able to go ahead at this point when they came up with the plan, which I think was, you know, given they were shortening up the season, I, I didn't think it was the worst idea ever. Um, and uh, look, just haven't been able to pull it off. And, and that was probably out of their hands to a certain extent. And look, the, the format is unusual, a little bit disappointing. Are we a bit rugbyed out in terms of the interpros? Uh, we probably are, even though I think those two games were really good on the weekend. I mean, there was loads that were they were tight. I mean, Ulster. You know, I don't know what to say about them at the moment. Um, very disappointing, you know, that they had, they've just, they seem to not be able to get kick on, you know, and they've lost one or two big bodies. Uh, well, obviously one key body, you know, next year, which I think will impact them. They need to replace him. And um, yeah, I just don't know what's going to, I'm just a bit uncertain about the, where they're going, even though they, they did recover well against Leinster and, and, and gave a good account of themselves. Um you know, not beaten too badly. Is that a good thing? Um, I think it probably is, given where they are and, and their their recent results. So uh, that was a bit, you know, I think they'll be a little bit disappointed with how they've gone. They would have looked to maybe stabilise and build on some of the good work they've had this season or they've done this season. Leinster, you know, it was a tight game, but some big performances from some people who would have been disappointed. I thought James Ryan was very good. Um, you know, huge tackle. I'm going to say, did I see a, this? Was it 29 was the tackle count? You know that looks like a you know poor poor decision. The the longer it'll go on, I think that, that I think that's what will be evident if he can stay fit. Um, I think not bringing him will will be will turn out to be quite a poor decision because I think he was always going to play himself back into form if he if he got a run of games given the quality of the guy. Um, Robbie Henshaw on fire. I mean he's he's I mean I'm just really hoping he can stay fit because I think he looks like a shoe in for that test team provided they don't make any crazy decisions about playing on fire at twelve. So that was probably good to see. Um, and looking just in, in the overall picture, Leinster getting a win at home was probably expected. Probably didn't think it was going to be that tight. Um, and Munster, like, you know, delighted for Connacht. I mean, they've had a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, that Leinster performance was shambolic, you know, after such a good start. Um, and what a comeback. They'll be delighted with that. Uh, I mean, t- you know, that's, that's a really tough place to go and get a win. And... Um, you know, I think Munster would be disappointed. I mean, I don't get what's going on there. There was lots of talk about the referee after the game. And yeah, look, it was poor, but you have to manage it too. And they didn't do that well. And I think I saw, you know, even a few of their own. When you know, you know it's bad when the Munster support, some of the Munster faithful are kind of giving them a bit of grief for how they managed it. Uh, so look, that that was a bit exciting. And I think Rhodes is right. Probably we haven't seen as much coverage of it because we're probably a bit rugbyed out. But I mean, that was a big, it was a huge win for Connacht down there. I, I, I don't know what you thought, Rhodes, but um, I think that that's kind of, that was pretty telling and they needed a big turnaround after that Leinster game. No, it was very, yeah, it was, it was they were very impressive, you know, Tokeen Prendergast and um, the other, the young second row, whose name is Niall Murray, Niall were, Murray. Were, were both like, you know, for two guys that wouldn't have a huge profile going into this game, they really, really impressed and they really led them. And that's a, that's a really good sign, the two lads from their academy who, are not that established, impressed to that degree. But, you know, I think Munster, like, Munster are kind of the team that I focused on reading my report when I was talking about it because Munster went into that game, like, I know it's the Rainbow Cup and and people are not that engaged, but, like, you can only win a certain amount of trophies in your career. And there's a couple of players at Munster who are leaving at the end of the season and Munster have this 10-year drought that's going on and they, they beat Leinster away. And it looks like if they had gone on and won all their games, they basically would have knocked Leinster out at the first attempt and gotten themselves a final against a team that's not Leinster. 
And like this is a golden opportunity for them to break that duck and to win a trophy. It might be the Rainbow Cup, but internally they, that doesn't matter to them. And then they go and they they hammer Ulster and they play really well and they look really good. And then Connacht come down and without with a really good strong defensive performance, but like Munster gift them two tries, like gift them two tries. And I I didn't notice this in the stadium. It's funny what you miss, but like the fact that Peter O'Mahony like just stopped talking to the ref at one stage, like just gave up on it, and and CJ Standard kind of took over the captaincy, even though Manny was still on the pitch. Like Neil Briggs was talking this off the ball yesterday. Like that's that's not good. That's not a good sign about your leader, like your your captain. Um, you know, the, you might not like Dan Jones, and obviously they don't. And he sent uh, O'Mahony off earlier in the season in Scarlets, but. He's the ref. You got to manage him. Like that's just that's just the reality of being a captain of your team. And like you shouldn't de- be derailed. Like if you're Munster and you're going for a title, you shouldn't be getting derailed at home to Connacht. And I think Connacht deserved it, and Connacht earned it, and they they made life difficult for them, and they were in their face, and all of those things. But I think this Munster team and the, the names that they had on the pitch, albeit with an inexperienced halfback pairing, but very strong. You know, World Cup winner at twelve, really strong pack in front of them. You got to be winning these games, and you know, like if they end up coming second to Treviso and missing out on a final, that's a really, really bad missed opportunity because they did the hard part. They went to the RDS and won. Yeah, they still do have, I suppose, a narrow advantage over Leinster and Connacht. I think in the table, so if Treviso slip up, they have Connacht at home and the Ospreys away. Winnable games. Now it'd be tough for them to win to win them both. I would, I would say, but definitely winnable. Um, and if they end up going at Munster's expense. After the position, once they put themselves in, as you say, Rod, it would be a massive missed opportunity. One aspect of the weekend, Luke, I'd be interested to get your opinion on. I know, Rod, you were writing about it earlier in the week, is the captain's challenge and how, I suppose, interesting it's been. Like Leo Cullen's comments after the game I thought were funny, just reading them. He's like, it's proving challenging, like dot, 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 and distracting. Because um, it does seem that there's, you know, a few different ways it's been going. Like some teams taking punts near the end of games, just like trying to find anything that they can maybe get get back into the game with. Other ones, you know, like Ian Henderson, uh, you know, challenging the Robbie Henshaw tackle. Surely things like that should be looked at anyway. Should you really need a kind of a to be able to have to point the referee in that direction? Like, what what have you made of how it's been used and your thoughts on it? Maybe it even generally. Um, you know, kind of reluctant to make a call it so quickly. Um, initial thoughts probably, you know. Uh, did I hear the word petty kind of used? Um, <laughs> was, that was, Rudd, that, yeah. was that Rudd? Sorry, sorry, Rudd. I should have given you cred there. Um, and that's not good, you know. People are getting that sense of it and people are using it kind of, um, you know, retrospectively, not really to, like, you know, challenge something that's really obvious that's been missed or something that is, you know, a bit of foul play. That, you know, it's the, the refs just, they're not going to pick up everything throughout the game and the camera work isn't unbelievable. But if it's not being picked up and it's not being used in good, is good faith the right word? Um, words even, sorry. Um, that's that's a bad thing and that's not good for the game. Uh, I think it does have, do you know, like once it settles in and I think people are using it properly, I think it could be a good thing. Uh, the argument is always going to be, does rugby need more stops and play? Um Maybe not, and the game can be very stop start. But it, do, it could add a bit of theatre, you know. If there's, if if there's, if someone has spotted something on the pitch, right. I could see a scenario where it could it could be good, and and you know it could it could be it, it could be a bit of would it be enjoyable for a spectator? Yeah, it could be. But uh, my 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 initial sense, and again a very initial, because I just you want to give it a chance to breathe. Is do we need another stop in rugby? Um, I'm probably not. Is my would always be my view of rugby at the moment. Yeah, Rod, like there's a few elements to it. Like as Luke said, there there is moments when it was used, the Connacht Ulster game, a chief example, where it really did add to the spectacle. It was dramatic. It actually ultimately made the right call and Connacht won the game. But then I suppose, like I watched watched the Stormers against the Lions at the weekend and... uh, like there was a real piss take one where he was just like, oh, there was, uh, what, did, what was it even the infringement in the build-up? I can't even remember what it was, but he, it was very non-specific and it, we wasted like two or three or f- four minutes for trying to find this offence that no one could find. And it's just like, that's not what we want. That's kind of the bad faith ones, I guess, that you don't want. There's no real way to regulate that in terms of making sure they're used properly, I suppose. But, you know, you outline your thoughts in, in, in your piece. Yeah. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you can define it a bit more, and maybe that's the way to go. Um, the Connacht game, the Connacht Ulster game, the first game of the Rainbow Cup, I think, had the two ends of the spectrum. So the first one was was Alan O'Connor 
Ulster scored a try and converted the, uh, converted a try. And Alan O'Connor, captain's challenge, I want to go back and look at a tackle by Abraham Papalihi on Marcus Ray, I think it was. And he was trying to get Angus, uh, Abraham Papalihi sent off. Like, there was no other consequence of the of the moment. Like they, Ulster weren't going to get a penalty out of it. Um, they'd already scored their try. So there was no material benefit like in terms of going back and, you know, it wasn't as if Ulster had knocked on and he was trying to get the penalty. He was trying to get the player sent off. And that left, and, and it turned out that the tackle was fine. A bit like Robbie Henshaw at the weekend, it was it was a tough but fair challenge. Um, I know some people would argue that Robbie Henshaw went a bit high. I, I would say probably it was just a, like marginally the right side of things. And Papa Lee, he was the same. And Papa Lee, he has a bit of reputation because he got sent off twice early in his career. And Andy Friend was furious about that and pointed it out afterwards. And I think and it happened in the Super Rugby Aotearoa final as well, where um, I think it was Scott Barrett where they tried to get a chief sent off or try to get him down to 14 men for, for 10 minutes. And I can understand the material gain of that, but you have this tit-for-tat almost element of, of players accusing their, their... Like, I mean, Ian Henderson is accusing his Lions teammate and Ireland colleague, who we refer to as Robbie as he was making the, the challenge, of, of foul play, trying to get him sent off. And, like, he was really annoyed that he thought Balakun had been high-shotted. But at the same time, I think rugby, which lauds itself on its own values should be better than players trying to get each other sent off. So I think it's up to the but TMO. It, but Ron, if, it, if, if it is foul play, like what? That's what? up to the TMO. Like we have, a, we have like five yeah. people watching the game with that with that yeah. job. You know, you have a fourth official on the TMO. I think someone should pick that up. Then at the end of the, of the Connacht Ulster game, as you correctly pointed out, Will, the referee gave a knock on to, uh, against Connacht and blew the final whistle. And Old Masters and Camley goes up to the referee and says, I think there was, I, I, I'm, I, I want you to check that. I think he was stripped on the ground. Ref watched it again, was stripped on the ground. Connacht get the penalty correctly because that would have been missed because often the final play, things do get missed. The ref blows his whistle and we all go home. Connacht go to the corner to score a try to win the game. And it was really dramatic, exactly what Luke was saying. So like with that, and like I'm not, obviously if there's foul play involved, maybe it is the last five minutes where it comes into play. Maybe it is, but we've had two incidents, Leinster Munster and Munster Connacht. And it actually, on uh, Leinster Ulster at the weekend, so that's three games, which have finished with captains trying to figure out some way of trying to get the ball back when the final whistle is gone. So, like, Munster tried to find a knock-on in the last play against Connacht because they needed the ball back. You know, they, the final whistle had gone, but they tried to find a knock-on. It wasn't. It was a knock-on. It was a, their own knock-on by Stephen Archer. Leinster Munster ended with just everyone standing around not knowing what's going on. And Luke McGrath tried to challenge something on in the RDS, and the ref said he can't because the doctor told you to do it. Um, and when you're in the stadium, as you know, Luke, you, or sorry, uh, Will, because I don't think you've been on any of these games, you don't know what's going on because you've no ref link and it's just a load of people standing around looking yeah. at screens. And at the moment, there's no big screens in the stadium because there's no crowds. I don't think it add, it's adding an awful lot, apart from that one moment of drama. And obviously, if they miss something and they get it, you can point to that as the example. But look at the AOR in football. It, like, it's just, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think there's enough stoppages in the game, as Luke said, and... On the evidence I've seen, the bit of I haven't seen all of the New Zealand Super Rugby tournament, but I saw bits of it and I didn't like it there. The bits that I've seen in, in our competition, I haven't enjoyed. I I'm not against refining it, maybe, but as it stands, it's it's bringing in some bad habits and it's also making the game much longer. Yeah, it's a funny one. Like the, the 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 New Zealand games I've watched and the instances I've seen have actually been more legitimate than the ones I've seen so far in the Rainbow Cup. I feel like the one, some of the ones I've seen in the Rainbow Cup have been a piss take, and it's really hasn't really added anything whereas there was a couple of good ones i saw successful challenges in in new zealand ones where you might miss it in real time like there was a crusaders fullback fielding a kick and he took it back for a try and there was like a side escorting that was illegal that you might miss in real time and that maybe it's good for something like that um one thing i would like to get your opinion on lugan road was that tackle that robbie henshaw tackle that's gotten a lot of people talking about it um I know Gordon Darcy on Air Sport was, was saying that he thought it was the right decision not to give any uh, cards. Tommy Bow disagreed. Darren Cave spoke quite strongly as well, saying that like if he was Robert Balakoon's parents, he wouldn't have liked that. You know, wh where do you weigh in on that, Luke? Do you think it was the right decision by the referee or or did the tackle warrant uh, a further sanction? Uh, I think penalty was probably the right call. Um you know, I just don't like I don't like that angle. I don't like that real upright running into the collision. I just think it's we're, we're trying to move away from those kind of hits because obviously, you know, your your head, uh, you know, head on head collisions around that area. Um, no, I think we're, we're that's something that we're just trying to eradicate from the game. 
to, you know, in, in as much as we can. So that would probably be my view on that one. I probably would have laid down a marker and that it was a penalty, but clearly you could see, um, you know, and sorry, I'm on the I'm on the fence about about it being a penalty as well. But I, I do think on balance, given that we are trying to eradicate that, I, I just think it's a dangerous enough hit um, in, in that respect. And I just I really I'm really conscious that, we're you know, you don't want to make the game soft, but I think the game is tough enough as it is. And I just feel like that technique, you just need to try and stamp it out. The only way you can do that is when you see collisions like that is that you penalize. And now you can clearly see there's no intent to hurt and Balakoon isn't hurt and the hit is marginal is marginal you can clearly see there is an attempt to wrap there is no contact on the head but it's right there it's just in the danger zone and i would be saying to myself look robbie you're you're, you're there's no card here on this occasion because we think there's good intent and nothing's happened um and you can clearly see the technique is you know on the edge uh, that's probably the conversation i'll be having but we have to give a penalty because that's just not a good it's not a good picture and i think you can have that conversation with with sensible people that it's not a good picture um and, and that's my view I, I feel like we're always trying to make it and i'm a big you know i i've, I've sinned in this in, in this respect as well you're always trying to make things as clear cut as possible to avoid that gray area but i think it's a bit it's kind of a bit unavoidable there's going to be you know there's going to be times where you know particularly i'm just thinking about my own when, when you are defending and you see someone late um and you're getting off the line and you're reacting that you might not be in a perfect tackle position so you might be upright um you know and you have to account for that and that's probably where the gray area is but i still think it's not a good picture um and i probably will be penalizing it but it's it's a tough call it's a really tough call yeah Rod, it's a really interesting you know kind of case study in terms of where rugby is going and where they want the sport to be because like just even the, the little debate I referenced there, Tommy Bell and Gordon Darcy, I thought it was very interesting. They were kind of, I felt they were both making correct points. Tommy Bell saying that Robbie Henshaw wasn't in control really of, of, of what he was doing there. Gordon Darcy saying, okay, yeah, but he wrapped his arms and he didn't make contact with the head. So, you know, where do we go? And as Luke said, it could be like an, a good teachable moment, I suppose, in terms of, 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 of the way they want the tackle to, to go. Yeah. I think Luke's, Spoken very well in it there because, like, technically, I don't think Robbie Henshaw, under the laws, if you went through the laws, I don't think he broke a law in that tackle. I think he he came in just marginally under where you're supposed to tackle. They didn't put, they were given an option of putting a nipple line in. They didn't. He's under the shoulders. He's shoulder to shoulder. And the picture that you're talking about is Robert Balcoon's head snapping back in a whiplash moment. And that looks terrible. And I think the control thing is really interesting because I don't think there's anything. I, we've seen a few rooks. Um, penalised for players hurling themselves in without control, but we haven't really seen that. Like we see that in football more that that people are, players are, are sent off for those scissor tackles or when they lo- you know they might win the ball but they weren't in control of their bodies when they went in and they get sent off. But we haven't really seen that in rugby. And maybe that's the next logical phase of this. But like I think ten years ago, Robbie Henshaw would have been absolutely like you know paraded up and down the RDS for that tackle. You know, like and I think the crowd would have been on their feet because it just had that awesome explosion of energy out of the defensive line and he smashes his, his, his opponent. But I think given all we know now about brain injuries and, and all of that sort of thing, I mean, he ended up injuring himself and needed a HIA as a result of it. He came back on, but um, the picture of Balakun's head snapping back and, and yeah, his pe- his parents or whatever watching at home, that's it's not a good look for the sport. But I think within the laws, Henshaw could justifiably say, well, well tell me what, what law I've broken here. Just on that point, I think, like I think, what we have to ask ourselves, if you're if you're think about if you think about yourself in a game and those, it's I'm more thinking about this specific situation here where you're you you might not see an attacker coming. So you know if if, if you no one can see me, I know we're on a podcast. <laughs> um, but if someone's coming, if you're a defender and someone from the attacking team comes from your outside on a short line, um, and ends up in your space, but is it's kind of sidestepping into the space. They're coming into it very late, right? I think, and, and that's that's one of those ones where you're literally you might just turn because your half 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 of your eye is going to be on the ball, and the other half catches the guy who comes into your space late. Your body position isn't always going to be perfect, but I think what we'd be trying to do, and what I'd be suggesting based on my view on this around it being a bad picture, is that if you're in those situations where you know you're going to be close to contact, or you might be, or you're defending, that you are in a lower position. If you look at Robbie, he's in a running position where he's up tall, but he knows that he, like if he's coming off the line that quickly, there's a good chance he's going to be quite close to the guy. 
I think what you know what needs to happen is if you start penalizing those ones, um, you know, I think what happens is people end up having to come up and be lower. So I know I know that sounds like a, a weird thing to say, maybe, but I think if you look at it, most people who are in a good position to tackle have dropped at the hips. And, you know, when they're ready for one and they're going in to hit the guy in the hip or on his, on his thigh, but you're in a lower position and he can, you can definitely do that while you're running. You can be lower. And even if you're turning, you could be in a lower position. It's actually a better position to tackle. I think that's probably where if you were coaching people to defend and to try and avoid them, uh, you know, getting themselves in a situation where they're out of control um, going into collision that they might see late. Um, and that happens all the time in rugby that you're in a lower position more often and there's less chance of you going in a head-to-head collision um, with someone because you're in a lower position. And I think, look, I know it's hard to explain on a podcast without showing you a visual of it, but I think if you think about that, um, that, that's definitely doable. And it doesn't sacrifice the physicality of the game, um, and it just protects people, you know, people's heads in these collisions, which is what we're trying to do. And I think we need to figure out ways to do that because otherwise our game is in danger. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and I just feel like that's something that maybe people should be thinking about coaching into the game or referees should be trying to get that message across about this is how we're going to manage this going forward. If we feel like you are out of out of control and you're in a high position, in a, even in a contact situation where, you know, you see someone late or you, the, the, the collision happens in an unexpected way, if you're not lower and you're high, we're going to penalise you if it's a bad picture. And, and that is something you can say to people. It, it'll cause a fuss at the start with the hard men but eventually, you know, those people will realize that, you know, we're trying to protect the game, not, you know, not destroy the game by taking out the contact. The contact's going to be there and it's going to be big. It's going to be physical. We're not going to miss out on that side. We just need to find ways of helping us manage it. And I think that could be a way. Sorry to say, I know I went on for a bit there, but I don't know what you think about that. If you have a view. Do you think that will come up in the Leinster review on whatever they, 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 they review the game? Like, will Hugh Hogan, the collision coach, well, he showed that example and say, lads, look, Robbie didn't get penalised here, but look, we can't be tackling this way. Or did how do they address that sort of thing? Is it is it like a one on one chat with Robbie, like, or is that a, is that as Will said, a teachable moment that they might look at to everyone and go, lads, we can't be tackling like this because it's on right on the borderline, and we we don't want it. Like Robbie ended up getting injured himself, so you know, how, how, I mean, I know it's a while since you're in there, but yeah, like, no, well, it's, what, it's a good question, uh, Rudd. You know, and I think it's a real weird dynamic in those meetings. Like Robbie's a very senior guy. You know, they can be very tricky. That can be a real tricky, you know, conversation for, for, you know, Hugh Hogan has obviously come up the ranks and is very highly thought of in there. Whether or not he'd be in the review, I don't even know that. But I think, like, do you know what, what would happen? I think if you if he had got a yellow card, I think then, and if there was a few of them doled out for collisions like this, then you'd kind of start saying, okay, well, we've had two or three of these this season, lads. It cost us a game up in Ravenhill, you know, say it was up in Ravenhill, it costs us a, a game up in Ravenhill. We need to figure out how to manage this. If we're getting two or three, two or three of these a year, because we're coming up hard off the line, we, we're going to have a few of these collisions that we don't want to, we, we might not be in control of. We need to be lower all the time. So in your preseason, you start going, right, lads, if I see people running high, uh, getting off the line because they're tired, I'm going to ping, you know, you're, that, that's sorry how you train it in. You don't, like, they might say in the middle of the season, look, you know, we need to manage this. Very hard to do. You need that. What needs to happen is there needs to be ten or fifteen yellow cards handed out during the season, and everyone go and a big directive saying, "Lads, if we see this from the referees, we are going to ping it. We don't yeah. care if it's in the if it's in the grey area. How we think you should manage this is by getting your players lower when they're in the running position. It's also a better position to tackle from because you have more power. Just as a matter of in, you know, just as as a side point anyway, it's better technique." And um, the referees won't be going down that route, but the, your defensive coach or your Hugh Hogan, whoever's doing your physical stuff, should would know that anyway. So um, I think it's it's a it's a real interesting one because it's going to divide opinions. But I think you know to on balance, I think it's probably good to be maybe pinging people for those ones, even though I think it's probably only a penalty at this stage because there's no directive. Yeah, no, it was a really interesting kind of reaction and fallout to it, I thought. And even just listening to both of you there, I thought you both made some really interesting points. And um, one one thing I think it, it's worth talking about now that the Interpros are done and dusted road is looking ahead to that Ireland squad that will be named in, I'm not even sure when, a few weeks' time. Obviously, there's a blend that Andy Farrell will look to strike. There's a number of senior guys, you know, who aren't on the Lions tour who will probably you know, be in contention to be in the squad or some of them might get rested. But there's some young players and some, some guys who... Are looking to force their way in, like Tom Daly is one guy who I know you interviewed recently about, you know his his move to Connacht and how he said he wish he'd gone even earlier. He's been playing that well. He captained Connacht for the first time there last week against Munster. Um, he's someone. Do you think he could feature? 
Yes. Yeah, no, I think he could. I mean, I guess the fact that Robbie Henshaw and Bundyaki are gone helps him because he's a 12. Um, McCluskey's probably next in line there. I mean, Chris Farrell can play there as well. But I think Tom Daly's um, been really, really good this year. He's got an excellent kicking game. He's a good carrying game. He's he's uh, he's a decent passer of the ball as well. He's been very, very good for Connacht this season. And he's kind of um, like Bundyaki has been around a lot, an awful lot this year. And Daly has, and, and Tom Farrell's been injured as well, and, and Daly's kind of slotted in seamlessly, and, and I think he's only missed one game all season for them, which is, you know, really good consistency. And Andy Farrell did call him before he named the Six Nations squad just to let him know he wasn't in, but he wasn't far away. So that's that's a good sign for him that, you know, he's 27 now, he's not, he's not a young kid, but he's still someone who could contribute, and he's the kind of player... He fits kind of what Ireland look for in the 12, you know, based on the previous day. He's not, I don't think he's as good as Robbie Henshaw or Bundyaki, but he can certainly do a job for them. Um, I think there's a few players who'll be looking at it. I mean, I guess the first question he has to ask is, does he want Johnny Sexton and Keane Healy involved or do they get the summer off in the hope that the summer off will, will add to their, you know, when they come back, their longevity and that sort of stuff. And Keith Earls as well is another one. Like they'll probably be going, oh, I want to play because just in case someone goes down in the lines and I can get a call. But I think Andy Farrell, does he really need those guys around for these two games? Or does, That's does a he... really interesting question, Rude, isn't it? Like, it's Japan and USA. Like, so where's the value? Other than what you said there, the lads want to be in the line shop window. So it's an interesting battle even politically for Andy Farrell to strike. Like, yeah. you know, maybe annoying his senior players by saying, well, lads, we're playing USA and Japan. Like, ordinarily, I wouldn't be picking you in these games. Why don't, like, why won't we try? I wouldn't go, I mean, I, I wouldn't group the USA and Japan together you know, I think no. you know, Japan did beat Ireland at the World yeah. Cup. So I mean, they, they, it's that kind of Irish arrogance that, that undid <laughs> yeah, it in the first place. Exactly. I, think. I don't know if you remember 2019, <laughs> but, like, no, but, but, I, but I think like I think there'd be far more value in Joey Carberry and Ross Byrne yeah. starting these two games, or you know, than Johnny. But like, and look, I, I think it sounds like from what Peter Ryan wrote in Sunday Times a couple weeks ago, it sounds like Johnny Sexton's probably going to be still down for the rest of the season. You know, and I think there's really value in that. Like, if he's if he's had a few issues, I mean, he's had soft issues, he's had all sorts of things. Give him a nice break, get him a really good preseason, and then we'll see how he, you know, like you, you know, rather than going a line store where he's going to be playing every week and trying to trying to get himself in the test team, you could get a bonus out of this where he, he goes on for longer. Keen Healy's the same. Like he's played so much rugby in the next while. He's he like the, the succession plan below, below him is just as interesting as the, the out half one. It's not as glamorous. There's not a huge amount of contenders out there. So that's like, I don't see the value in him playing and Keith Earls as well. Like if they've all signed one year deals, if they want to sign a second year, maybe that's how they are. If you sell it to them, it's like, we, you know, if you want to go, go to the world cup, this is your sabbatical, take it, enjoy it. Now they'll all say we had COVID. We didn't play for all that time. We, we're, we're all fitting around to go. That's an interesting discussion. That's a bit of player management for Andy Farrell to, to have. So that's the first thing that he needs to work out. But yeah, like I, I'd be looking at the likes of Josh Murphy. I think he's been really good recently. He's got great size to him, and and he's he's, he's Gavin Coombs then a Munster absolutely has to good. get capped. He's an exceptional player. Like he's like he's going to be Munster's most important player once he just under goes. I think you know him and Ty Byrne and Conor Murray probably like he the way he took the game to Leinster in that Pro 14 final when everyone else seemed to be overawed by the occasion. That's something that Johan Van Gran has to harness, and I really liked what he gives. Uh, Robert Balakoon um, definitely looks like a guy who, who should be in the mix. James Hume up at Ulster as well looks like a really uh, nifty player. I like him. Um, Lowry's an interesting one. Like a lot of people looking for him to be captain. In a nightmare at ten against Ulster, against Munster last week, but he, I like what he gives at fifteen and he gives you something different. But he's a bit um, small for international roads. Potentially, but that like Damien McKenzie gives the All Blacks something special. Oh, he's, from there. Just, he's everything though, isn't he? Like his kicking. Well, maybe you could argue the same about Larry, but I don't know. Uh, he, yeah. he feels like he's a, a he's strong as well. Like McKenzie, you've seen some of those you know tackles, and I don't know. I'm not sure. The, the That's pretty those, generous, I think. <laughs> and the problem for those guys is like the Jacob Stockdale and Hugo Keenan didn't go on the lines. Um, you know, like we go back three players in the lines tour, so they're they're all going to be available for Ireland. So it's it's an, it's a really different interesting challenge for Andy Does Farrell. Does Simon Zemo come into contention, Rudd? It depends on whether Rasting are still going. I think the I think the the French season might be. They probably won't be. He should he should do like he. That's why they're that's why they're the French playing final, the French final is the same day as the Lions game against Japan. Okay, well, so he would technically be available, wouldn't he? The, the Ireland games yeah. are July, aren't they? Early July. Well, I mean, they're paying it. They're paying half his wages or, or more to bring him home. So, I mean, obviously, there are a few fancy having him as an option. So, definitely, he should come into the equation. And 
I mean, I would always have argued that he should never have been out of the equation, but like, you know, now that they've signed him and they've brought him back, he, he you know, he definitely should. So he's another who, who so I mean, you're, you're looking at a lot of, in certain positions, you're looking at a lot of senior guys who are going to be looking to finish off and with game time and also keep their Lions prospects alive. Like James Ryan's definitely want to kind of want to play in case Courtney Laws gets injured or someone like that. So, um, I'm trying to think of other ones who like, I, I like to see Dan Sheehan cap. I think he looks like, I know he hasn't played a lot of first team like games for Leinster, but he is, and outstanding. Him and Keller are Ireland's hookers for the next 10 years. Like, that is just, in my mind, undisputed. Like, I don't see any value in Rob Herring playing in these games. Maybe bring him into the squad, but. Could he be playing them anyway? You could argue. Like, yeah, I mean, Kelleher has been outstanding, I think. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, he had a real good case for. I think what really let him down was obviously not being selected in the Six Nations. But I mean, he, to my mind, was a very unlucky boy not to get collected or not to get selected uh, against uh, or for, for that Lions tour. But, you know, particularly when he was one of the only guys who played really well against La Rochelle as well. His line throwing, which, you know, has, has opened to I And I think he's probably looks like he's eradicated that concern. I think he looks really good now with the, the, in terms of that, in terms of his throwing. Um, looks like he's got that sorted out. I mean, he was unbelievable against Exeter. He completely ran the show, dominated uh, physically in that game. And then I thought he really stood up well in that uh, La Rochelle one too. So you're right. I think those two boys look like serious operators. And I think Leinster have found two nuggets there um, that that I think will you know stand them in good stead over the next 10 years. So I'm really excited to see how those guys get on. I think that's a great point, Rhodes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, I think the, the, the stuff about the Lions, I mean, it'll be hard to push back on the lads. I think Johnny has a, you know, Johnny has proved, you know, time and again that he does not need to play week in, week out to come back and have a monster game for you. So I think there's let he he maybe against his own better judge. Or like I, I have, I I probably shouldn't be divulging this, but I heard he is training the absolute house down since he got the. Um, I'm sure I'm not saying who it is, but no, he apparently he's training the absolute house down since. Uh, the, the Lions kind of call um, and on fire in the, in the ball playing. So, so I'm sure he's, you know, revved up to, to go, but I think it'll, uh, he, he doesn't lose, he gains the, le- the the less rugby he plays. I think, you know, because he'll be able to work his body into really great condition. If there's a, if there's something in the Lions where he, you know, he, he gets called up, you know, he can produce. James Ryan, on the other hand, I think, he still has a great age profile. Um, Caelan Doris, another guy, I think good to see him coming back. And, you know, he could definitely add value and it's good to see, it'll be good to see him get some game time, uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, loads of guys that, that are, you'd be excited to see. And a few of those guys will probably want to keep their head, their, their, their face in the shop window, particularly James Ryan, I think is, is a guy you could see the performance he put in against Ulster. He's wearing that hurt and uh, wearing it well. Sorry, just, I just double checked. Johnny Sex is on 99 caps, you know I mean? Like, He's ah, he'll, of, he'll get it. Don't I know he will, but like I mean, he, he more than anyone knows that this this game is is uh, like the, you know, that, that, that 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 it's perilous if he's fit. Stick he's him on the bench. Available, like he, <laughs> he, nah, he wanted. No, but I, I think he'll want to play in these games. So it's like that's yeah. a real difficult managing thing for Andy Farrell to, to deal with. If he hasn't got medical advice not to play, I think he will want to play in these games and get to that hundred caps because like there's no guarantee he'll be around. You know, November could be injured again. Like if he's fit. He'll want to play for Ireland. That's his mindset. He's the captain. And Rod, do we know when the Fair. squad might be announced? Uh, I haven't asked the question. I'm just trying to think based on previous experience. I would say, you know, the Rainbow Cup final is the 19th of June. There's a couple of weeks between. I think it'll be after that. I think he'll wait until all the games have been played. So It's funny just on the on the subject of squad announcement. It's only when Luke kind of mentioned it earlier about James Ryan playing, you know, well since the announcement. Like, why, is, why does the line squad, it's probably commercial reasons, need to be announced so soon before, like, they're actually going to be leaving? Like, why, why couldn't they have picked it at the end of May when there's still another three weeks before they go and there's, they will have played another month of matches? I just... I'm just thinking now, like, because even I got some calls Sinclair last night for Bristol. Very good again. And I'm just thinking, like, why do they need to pick it so far in advance? In in pre- previous tours, they were picking it in April. And I was now I'm just like, what on earth were they doing? Like, there's so much can change. No wonder so many guys get injured before they go, because there's another two or three months of the season to play. Yeah, I don't. The funny thing is, that's a bit of a miss. Well, it, like, obviously, it's there's you know high profile stories over the years of lads who got injured. But I, I think four years ago, no one got injured, and Ross Mariarty got injured over there. And they didn't replace him, and, and that was the only injury they got on the entire tour in New Zealand. So 
Um, there's no guarantee that this there will be injuries. Like it's it's. Uh, but no, you're right. I think that's a fair point. Uh, I, really wrote, I think 2017 was the outlier. All the other ones has been. No, I know, but that's the most recent one. It's just everyone assumes there's going to be injuries. It's not. It's no. It's no guarantee. But uh, that's it's a fair point. Yeah, like it's. I know they like the. I guess what it does is it kickstarts the whole thing and it gets that massive bit of attention onto them and sells jerseys and. In normal times, it might sell a few tour packages and get the South African fans going on buying tickets and stuff. But like, unfortunately, at the moment, it doesn't look like there be any fans there. So, um, you know, this is a this is a different year. So they probably could have drawn it out over a six week period. Could have named the the fullbacks first, and then a week later on the wingers, and kind of, <laughs> you know, really got it got their their money's worth for it. Gregor Townsend was probably pushing to name it as soon as possible to get as many yeah, Scots in. While, while the Scottish, <laughs> Scottish yeah. Six Nations performance is fresh yeah, in the mind. Fresh in the mind, exactly. Uh, another few weeks yeah. of Rainbow Cup, I'm not sure how many more of them would have, would have snaked in. Um, to finish up, Champions Cup final, guys, this weekend, La Rochelle Toulouse. On paper, it could be a really good game, but Rory, I, I'm very worried that this could be an abs- another terrible all-French affair. I've just been burned so many times this season. Um you know, which way do you think it could go? Uh, would you be more optimistic that it could be the good game we hope will be the, the well, forecast yeah. for bad weather in Twickenham? Well, that's that's not a good time um, because I think a lot of the games, apart from the ones involving Bordeaux, who were just awful, um, a lot of the bad games that I watched were in bad weather and teams kind of went into themselves a little bit. Um, they're two massive packs. They could definitely drag drag, drag themselves into a uh, into a bit of a dogfight Levani Botti is not definitely like is still a major doubt for La Rochelle. He'd be a massive loss to them. There's a lot of talent on the pitch. I can't imagine Dupont will be shackled for the entire game. I can't imagine Nentemac won't have something in him to to, to break things open. Um, that Cheslin Colby will be will be you know like anonymous for for eighty minutes. I think there is enough quality in both teams. Um, the winger Lebel, like he was, he's been phenomenal anytime I've seen him recently. And then like La Rochelle have incredible talent in, in their in their backline as well, and like a really mobile, like skillful back row that that you know has been so good in these knockout phases. And they've two World Cup winners in their in their team, or they're more. They definitely have two anyway in their team in, in Kerr Barlow well, and, and he would have been in the squad, wouldn't he? No, he was. He came off the bench in the fight, and he he got ahead oh, really? of. Uh, he got ahead of Perinara in that tournament, and he was uh, yeah. It's it's not. He was unbelievable against Leinster. Carvalho yeah. was one of the best players on the pitch. He was brilliant, absolutely. And like Vito has so much experience as well. So he, like, and Aldrich, these lads, you know, they've been there with France. Like, there's not. It, it it's their first final, but there's a lot of experience in the team. So and Skelton's won it before as well. So I think they'll be. I think O'Gara will have them ready for it. O'Gara and Gibbs and the coaching ticket. They both won it either as players or coaches. I think they'll be ready for it. I think they'll perform. I think Toulouse will perform. But yeah, it could obviously if the weather's bad, um, it could go that way. I, I don't. I'm holding out hope that it won't. I think. I think there's too much firepower on both teams that we won't at least have some rugby breakout in, in the middle of it all. But I like. I think the team that wins it up front will win the game. That's what La Rochelle did to Leinster. They beat the beat the living daylights out of them up front, and then then got got things moving out. You know, they, they got the scoreboard ticking over. Really, they, they didn't really explode into life much in that game, and, and to lose. You know, with the Arnold brothers, with, with Corey coming off the bench, they've plenty of size as well. With you know, um, uh, Jerome Kino making hit after hit, still at thirty, he's the same age as me. He's thirty eight. He's, he's still going strong. It's it's the last couple of games. I, I love him. I think he's just such a great quality, player. consistent operator. Like you know, what are the great games? Great. Probably doesn't get some of the the headlines as, as the macaws of this world. But like, what a what a phenomenal career he's had so hmm. yeah I'm, I'm holding, holding out some hope that it'll be a bit of, like that these two teams who, who do like to play it the right way uh will 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 come to life but you never know it, it, it could let us down all over again yeah because look like, when you're looking at the team sheets okay they haven't been named but if you're going off the semi-final team sheets like the matchups all over the pitch some really exciting ones like you look at the halfbacks you mentioned Carballo and West versus Entomac and DuPont you know the back three both back threes full of game breakers the back rows two massive well, back rows Dula played against Julak quite a few times he's just, he didn't get much yeah. of a mention but he was really good against Leinster as well kind of a small guy but he's very solid in the air He's really exciting. He's a game breaker too. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Will. There's loads of people across the pitch and loads of little battles there um, to, to, to kind of watch closely. I think um, Toulouse looked like they've got a, that little bit of a lure back and that little bit of, I think, um, fear in French rugby that they probably carried for so long. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're the only team to beat La Rochelle at home this year. Um 
you know, so have they got that hoodoo over them? Is that that little bit of magic that Toulouse always had or, you know, I've had for a very long period of time, kind of similar to remember that brief, that period of brief were, were really, really, you know, the, the front runners in, in French rugby. Um, you know, have they got that back? That's what I'm going to be watching for because I think, you know, I, I would say, like, I mean, can La Rochelle produce a performance like they produced against Leinster? I think if they do, they'll beat them. I believe that. I think that, I think that was... I still think Leinster were. If Leinster were playing to lose, I'd I'd be more confident. Um, I'd be confident that they that they'd beat to lose. Actually, would be very confident they'd beat to lose, even though to lose are very good. I think Leinster would have too much quality for them. I thought that was an unbelievable performance by La Rochelle. Um, and you know, yeah, I did hear some whispers from some of the French commentators. It might have been even Bernard Jackman, who obviously has his finger on the pulse over there a bit. That you know, the the murmurings were that was the best performance, you know, in two years by La Rochelle. So can they reproduce that? Um, Look, they have two guys there running the show that know how to win big games and have a, a big game mentality. And if they can impart any of that wisdom and that calmness um, that you need in a final, uh, combined with that little bit of that extra ferocity that you need as well, it's a real teams that play the best in the final can always marry those two things. It's a kind of it's a kind of a it's a weird thing to say because they're kind of opposites, I suppose, in in lots of ways. But if you can marry those two things, you get a great performance in a final and. Uh, you know, O'Gara played in teams that had that. They had that brilliant kind of nous, but also they had that ferocity in the physical stuff and really were able to mix it up when they needed to, because you'll need that in the final. Uh, whoever does that better, you know, sh- should win. And I think, to, you know, off the off the pitch, I think there's there's definitely proven winners there for, for, for La Rochelle. But I wonder, is that a big ask to take on to lose in their mind? Um, particularly seeing as they lost them this year at home as well. So we wait and see. It's intriguing. Uh, again, if the weather's bad, it could be a big bruisy affair with some very big, two very big packs. But I think there's enough quality, as Rudd said, for someone to break it up with a moment of magic or two, uh, even if the weather is very poor. So we hope it's not, but uh, I'll still be tuning in definitely because I think it's a massive game. And it's good for French rugby to, to, to have two teams in the final. I know we're disappointed over here. No, but it is good for French rugby. They, like... <clears throat> I think they had a really disappointing Six Nations. Um, you know, I, I really I think that they looked really loose and ill-disciplined. You know, back to the old France. I think this is big for them because we want to have them interested in this competition. This needs to have, because otherwise I think like without the French teams really holding this in such high esteem, the competition could fall away very quickly. You know, and they're, if they're putting second teams out in, 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 in hiding cups, we don't want that. So if they get a winner from this group, or from this year, I think that's good for the competition. I know it sounds terrible because they've got the big budgets, but I really believe that we need them to be really interested and hold this in high esteem. Um, and it's great to have two teams in the competition that are in the uh, French, sorry, in the final. Uh, it's a weird thing to say, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if there's that many other people rejoicing in the All French final, but hey, you made a good point. I, it, it's not, it's no harm for them to have a winner. They haven't had one since I think what is it, twenty. 20- 15 with Toulon and Toulouse haven't won it since 2010 and they're going for their fifth title. One player I think it's worth mentioning who hasn't been talked about yet is Maxime Maidard. Kind of a great survivor of that Toulouse team. I think he's 35 now. He played in a final all the way back in 08, I think, when they lost to Munster. He won it in 2010 to win it again for him. And he's actually playing great rugby as well in that semi-final against Bordeaux. It was a pretty poor game in bad conditions, but but he popped up and I think had a key involvement in, in, in their tries, which was... You know, for someone that's his age, still going I, strong. I think he passed. Did he pass a really big mark? There? Did he pass like a three hundred cap or something? Or so he had some real. Uh, I think he, I saw. Weirdly enough, I saw this on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, that's such a weird. But I think he had some milestones. Someone like endorsed him on LinkedIn for like. Yeah, a it might have been three hundred fifty fifty professional games or something weird like that. Like a huge number for for rugby matches in France. So, yeah, that's he, he's a serious operator. He was great to play against. So like as in. Sorry, tough to play against, but a, like a great player. I mean, he's just one of those French guys that glides across the ground. I don't know what you guys think, but he was, a, he, you know, playing against him tough, but a pleasure to watch. Yeah, well, according to Wikipedia, he's played 315 times for Toulouse, which seems to be oh. an, an awful lot. Um, maybe they celebrate 315 in, in a big I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. More likely. Just to wrap up then, Rod, like, what is your prediction for, for, the week, for the weekend's game? Obviously, we haven't even mentioned Ron O'Gara, how big it would be. Thankfully, there hasn't been too much kind of O'Gara hype this week. I think we used it all up in the build-up to the Leinster game, but I'm sure if he delivers a trophy this Saturday, like, what an achievement that will be. Like, which way are you going? Yeah, he spoke to the media today, so I think Keane has a piece with him in tomorrow's paper. Um, yeah, I definitely did my O'Gara special for the Leinster game, and I, I have nothing left to give. So, um, I think uh, this is a hard one to call, because I, like because there's no TV deal here, I, I haven't seen a lot of top 14 this season, so I'm really going off the, the, the run to the final, and if you're 
going off the run to the final, La Rochelle looked like a much better team than Toulouse, who who, who managed to get it done without looking like like Munster tore them apart a couple of times in that last sixteen game. Their other games were pretty drab affairs, although they had the the, the nerves to get it done. Um, but they've been around for longer. Like they've been kind of knocking at the door for a couple of seasons now. Like Leinster have had their had their measure once or twice, and um, wasn't a rasting did for them last year. So, you know, like I'm sorry, it was Exeter actually in the semi-final, wasn't it at Sandy Park? But um, I have a feeling that La Rochelle are going to get this done. I think there's 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 just something about the momentum they have behind them, and the, the, I love the blend that they have in that team. I think he's built they, they, between them, the, uh, Gibbs and Nogara built a really really nice. I think if you are building a rugby team, they pretty much have the right fit for every position across the pitch. Like their hooker is incredible, and like he's like mm. fifth choice in, in France. The depth there is absolutely outrageous. You know that their props are, are are absolute animals. Their second row is just a mixture of that kind of athleticism and power. Their back row is mobile. Their half backs are Kiwis. They're both good ball players. Kerr Barlow probably does the game management stuff for them. If Body doesn't play, that makes a difference because he's just such a unique talent who'll cause all sorts of problems. To lose a really balanced as well. I think it's really evenly matched. I'm going to go for La Rochelle just by nose, but not with a. I wouldn't go rushing to the bookies based on my assessment anyway. Yeah, I actually fancy La Rochelle as well. I agree. Their team sheet, I suppose, you know, Leinster were favourites going into that semi final. And then afterwards, when La Rochelle played so well, and you're kind of looking at that team sheet and you're like, and that actually kind of makes sense, that performance, when you're looking at how much quality is there. And, and as you say, it's a really well-balanced team as well. Like there's, you know, the big guys in the positions where you want big guys, but they have mobile mobility as well. And like a, a back line that, while well, you didn't really see much of them against Leinster, can play real good rugby too. Which way are you leaning, Luke? I think, um, yeah, it's a great point. About, like the fitness of the big guys is what was really surprising to me. Um, like they kind of grew in stature throughout the game. Um, I think Toulouse will win it. And I, I, I think you probably got a sense of that from what I was talking about earlier on. I just think they might have that a bit of a bit of a lower back, a bit of fear amongst the competition about the big dog. Um, in kind of like I suppose what Leinster have had the last couple of years in the Pro 14. I think they might have that back um in uh in France. So I am gonna I'm gonna say Toulouse, even though I think it'll be a big ass because you can see it looks like uh, O'Gara and, and Gibbs have them really primed for this. They talked about them not playing their, you know, not playing their first team in, in some of the top the, the top 14 games. That's really unheard of. Um, so priming a, a French team for a European, you know, European game, that tells you how much it means to them too. So it's gonna be a great game. I, I'm I'm really excited about it. I mean, I think there's loads of quality on show. So um, I think to lose, but that's probably a heart more. Probably a heart more than a head, really. They look, they're both very loads of quality, but to lose, I'm sticking with to lose. <laughs> well, as long as we're not sitting here next week after a trialless 9 6 victory <laughs> for one of the teams, I, I, I'll be happy. But for now, Luke Rudd, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads. That's all we have time for this week on the left wing. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.